Good morning and welcome to the Morning Spotlight Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Ham, coming to you as always from the Spotlight Studios in Morristown, New Jersey. Today, our guests are coming all the way from all, coming to us all the way from Omaha, Nebraska. They're the co-founders of Park Ave Capital, a private investment firm with over $46 million of assets under management. They are privately held and focused on the acquisition of local alternative investments. Uh, the director of investment strategy is Chris Pomerlou. Chris, welcome. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And the director of operations is Colin Schwartz. Colin, welcome. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate you having us here. Absolutely. Good to have you guys on. So um, I think for the people listening here, because the majority of the listeners that we do have are here in New Jersey, uh, which is where the show is hosted. Um, maybe we'll get some background on you guys and then we'll kind of go through what you guys do at Park Ave Capital. So Chris, maybe we'll start with you, kind of your background up until, let's go up until starting Park Ave. Okay. Yeah. So I was uh, born and raised in Council Bluffs, Iowa, which is a suburb of Omaha, Nebraska. Um, graduate high school, went to college in Sioux Falls, South Dakota at a college called Augustana College and then went to law school thereafter. Was in the military for two years after law school. Uh, let's see, law school, I got my master's in negotiation as well. Uh, did military for a couple of years. In 2013, I started practicing law. And that's actually when I started uh, investing in real estate. And it wasn't until 2017 where Colin and I formed Park Ave Capital. Were you doing real estate law? No, I was and uh, I still am doing um, family law. So okay. divorce, custody, um, happy stuff. Oh yeah. Sounds, sounds awesome. Um, yeah. And then, uh, Colin, how about you? Yeah. So I, I don't think I've mentioned this on any podcast before, but I lived in Rhode Island for 10 years. So okay. I figured I would bring that up since you're East coast, baby, it's, East coast, it's, 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 it's the East coast. Yes. Uh, <laughs> then family moved to New Mexico. I graduated from university of New Mexico, got my bachelor's, then moved to Omaha, Nebraska, started working in retail, was managing a grocery store, um, got my MBA in finance, then began working in IT. Uh, I was a project manager for an insurance company. About 2017, I started investing in real estate, started with a threeplex, um, quickly started purchasing more, more properties, started doing some off-market, off-market letter campaigns, networking, started a meetup group, and then about shortly after that, within a year or so, Chris and I had connected. And then, yeah, about a year or so after, started Park Ave Capital with Chris. So when you say connected, like, how did you guys meet? Like, how did you meet? And then when did you decide, like, okay, this is like a, you know, for both people, both guys, this is like a horse I want to hitch my wagon to and, and invest with this guy and start this business with him? So, so originally, we actually met just like connecting through bigger pockets, sat down, had some coffee kind of kept up conversations together, um, kept talking back and forth, could tell we were both motivated, always looking at properties. And then Chris has a good story of actually how we met. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, uh, so yeah, I met, I met him. He, Colin had posted a Bigger Pockets blog about how much traction he had gained, I think just in four months and 40 units or, or something just outrageous, six months, 40 units. And he was he was picking up steam in 2017 right away. I'd said right when he started. So we connected that way. And then I, I, we actually found a four unit that was off market, um, fantastic location. And he, uh, we, we didn't know it at the time, but we were, we were bidding on it together. And I actually had the highest bid, but somehow he got it. I think I outbid him by about $10,000. <laughs> 
uh, and he got it still. And it had nothing to do with his uh, unbelievable looks or anything. It had everything to do with, um, uh, I didn't know this at the time, but the person that owned that property that was selling it, the seller, uh, she was the wife in an, in an open divorce case that I had at that time. So she saw my name, I can only imagine, and said, I'm not, I'm not selling to the other attorney my property. Yeah. Because I had already obviously upset her a lot by then anyway. And so I had no idea because it was in an LLC's name and I didn't know. So Colin got it, got the property. He started doing work on it day one, I think. I drove by, I noticed I, a bunch of trucks and vans and stuff in the, in the driveway and he was working on it. And I walked in, introduced myself. And uh, the rest is history, I suppose. There you go. Um, so it's really like all about who you know, for better or worse, I guess, right? Yeah, or don't be afraid to walk into yeah. homes that you don't own, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Open door policy. I mean, the ne- yeah, and the next thing is we, we were competing against each other on additional properties. And that's when we're like, okay, we, we keep showing up at the same place. Like, yeah. Time and time again, like, how about we just partner on this? Uh, right. You know, I, I was doing the property management he was doing a great job at, you know, um, meeting other individuals and just getting himself out there. So we kind of said, Hey, let's, let's start partnering on deals instead of competing. Yeah. All right. So I'm, I'm also interested. Like I, I, uh, the last couple episodes that we've had that I've recorded and, and that will post right before this episode posts, um, different guys doing some, some similar things that what you guys, it seems are doing. We'll get more into that in a little bit. Um, but I'm just interested, you know, like you both come from some different backgrounds. So what kind of drew you to investing in real estate? So maybe Chris, we could start with you on that one. Yeah. I mean, so in terms of 2013 is when I started and I started doing single family homes. Uh, obviously that's the easiest entry, uh, very entry. I mean, nothing against it. People make a lot of money doing it and people make great careers out of it. It's just much to many people, it's much easier to start it there. And certainly we felt that. So my father and I started purchasing single family homes and, uh, you know, buying them low and fixing them up ourselves and uh, managing them ourselves. And, you know, we, we were dedicating a lot of time to it. So it took a lot of time. And it was only four years later that I only had four single family homes. Now I got to spend a lot of good time with my dad. And I actually learned a lot about what to do and how to take care of property and what it costs to turn these units, how quickly it should be. I obviously met a lot of bankers. I met a lot of insurance people. I, I built that foundation. Um, and, but in 2017, I said, look, I'm doing this for passive income. Cause uh, you know, 2013, I, I, right away, I had golden handcuffs. I was, I was earning money as an attorney, but I realized as soon as I you know, left work or, or whatever. I wasn't making any money. And so some had to change. And so in 2017, I said, look, this single family route's not the right way. So that's when I started jumping into multifamily. And um, I'm glad I did everything I'd, I've done in the past, but it wasn't until 2017 where I got into multifamily. And it's just been bigger and bigger and bigger ever since. Gotcha. How about you, Colin? Yeah. So I was, it was January 1st, 2017. It was the last day I was on vacation. It was me and my wife, you know, had that kind of feeling, that dread of going back to work, knew that my vacation time had run out, that I was going to be be kind of stuck. And it was also a new year. So, you know, you're always kind of reflecting on what you did last year, what you're doing the year before. You know, previous year I got a promotion, but what wasn't any happier. Um, you know, it, it was very unsatisfied with that part of my life, the, the, the business, the work part, the career part. Um, n- nothing wrong with it. It was a great job. People love it, but just was kind of stuck. Anyways, somebody recommended reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I know lots of people got their start with that. I read it and instantly consumed it on the flight home and said, okay, cool. This is what I'm doing. Picked up about another dozen books in that month. Um, and 
really got my mind wrapped around of utilizing leverage and the power of multifamily. I mean, I had some home, I had some equity in my home. I had a little bit of savings. I also had a 401k that, I mean, for all intents and purposes is not being used. It's money sitting out there for like this, this fairyland day of retirement that you hope that your dollar is still worth something um, and that you're going to have enough money to hopefully enjoy the years where you can barely, you know, barely stand up. You can't go for a run. You're, you're, you're at an elder age. I was like, this this is not how I want to live my life. I I need to change it. So immediately just started consuming everything I could um, hand wrote 191 letters because I wasn't getting a lot of traction with, um, local brokers, because apparently everybody was looking for eight caps, 10 to 12% cash on cash return multifamily, right. um, which was a common theme. And since I had never done a deal and, you know, it's, it's hard for a, a broker to wrap their hands around when they have, you know, sophisticated buyers that have already purchased to spoon feed me deals. So started handwriting letters, started finding some deals. Um, yeah. And that's, that, that's just really how it started about a year later, was able to quit my job. I started doing property management to supplement some of the income. So in my partnerships, I run the property management arm. I take a fee for that. Um, So it's kind of that division of labor. You know, I have a staff now, et cetera, but that gave me enough funds to, to quit my job. Um, Definitely wasn't making nearly as much as I was at my IT job, but that's kind of what, what started. Yeah. As Chris said, things have just gotten bigger and bigger, you know, starting with three, four flexes now, 87 units, six and a half million dollar projects. Gotcha. All right. Awesome. All right. So now we have established the background. We've established how you guys got into the real estate and how you guys met and started, you know, worked, uh, partnering together on some of these deals. So um, at what point do you decide we're going to make this like official start this business together? Um, and then we'll talk about like what the business actually is and how it's set up. Um, who wants to take that one? I can take it. Um, I mean, it was right away in 2017 where I would, you know, it became official, most likely you could say. I mean, um, we still have stuff. We still have some items on the side that we do uh, with, with previous partners or, or, you know, some smaller groups of, of stuff we're taking down. Um, it just so happens that as we continue to get bigger and bigger and we have the same goals and we, we're continuously pushing each other and we're, we're networking, networking with the same people and different people that we can actually collaborate with. And, and we're, we're building off of each other. It just so happens that through the last three years, we've continuously more and more become more exclusive on our deals. Now that doesn't mean there aren't other items out there that, that we own without each other, if you will. It's just that we, we, it seems as though we've built together something pretty, pretty solid and, and we continue to grow that, that business, I suppose. I mean, I know it's kind of a vague answer, but yeah. it took a while. And we, right. you know, we, we were, we were, we were doing the same things, you know, at, at first there was a learning curve there. So we, we were calling the same people and trying to learn how to do things together. And, and we, we worked through those issues and, and now we just kind of have a, it's just kind of a, a nice little system going. Okay. Now tell us what Park Ave is and how it, how it operates. That way we can kind of establish that. And then we'll, I'll, you know, jump in with some more questions after we, yeah, I mean, we it's, so it's, it, it's us too. And then we have a, a guy that helps us, uh, Nick named Nick Bruin as well. He's a part of Park Ave, but we've, um, look, 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 we syndicate and we JV on real estate deals. I mean, our, our entire portfolio and our business plan is really in the high 90% of a value add approach. 
So we try to buy these things that are low and in value and then force appreciate them as opposed to just waiting for, you know, allowing the market to appreciate their value. Now that's something that's really common. Uh, we feel as though that we're very good at it and probably what sets us apart is uh, a couple things. One, we're, we're looking at things not only on the income base, but we also look them on the expense base, meaning we have, we have found great ways to trend some fat and large amounts of expenses, whether that's implementing solar, whether that's uh, lowering water, you know, using water conservation. Um, so, you know, I can go, I don't want to get too detailed there, yeah. but um, we, we, we syndicate deals. We take in investors from all over the world and we, uh, our business plan is to buy and hold forever. So someone invests a hundred thousand dollars. We raise the value of that property within one, two or three years. It could be five years, but typically it's the one to three year range. We then refinance the property give all their investors back their money. So now they're getting back their 100,000, but they stay in as an owner and they continue to receive cash flow indefinitely. Gotcha. All right. And is it all multifamily? All multifamily. I still have four single family homes that I talked about earlier, yeah, but right. yeah, we it's multifamily uh, for sure. Okay. And, ju right. and just one thing, one quick thing to add on that. We, we do focus mostly in the Midwest. Um, so we do have one that, that we do have under contract that's in Phoenix. However, most of our stuff is within 300 miles. Um, so we do have a good baseline. We, we're looking at projects, product of, in the multifamily sector that we are not hoping that the economy is going to appreciate. So it's going to appreciate, appreciate alongside of it. As Chris said, we are looking at the forced appreciation aspect. If it does appreciate, that's great um, from you know, outside factors. But our, our focus is on those Midwest, those stable markets, stable growth. Um, Good, good set of economy um, that 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 we can go and enforce appreciate. Right. So then, um, that was going to be part of my next question. Um, so good foreshadowing there. But uh, when you you talk about that, it's within a three hundred mile radius of, of you guys. So are you actually going and looking at those properties yourselves? Do you have you know a team, or do you have people in different locations that you trust and you use them to kind of give you? Uh, you know, ideas of like what's looking, what, what is, fits your criteria for a property that you want? All the above. I mean, okay. it's a team game, right? So we're in Omaha, we're in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Kansas City, Missouri. We are, we'll soon be in Kansas City, Kansas, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, we have some deals close in Des Moines. I mean, that's a 300 mile radius there. And do we go and see them ourselves? Every one of them we do. Uh, if it's not exactly us, it's someone on our team that we trust and meaning team, it's one of the investors that are actually on our team that are helping us managing the entire project, but almost always we're there seeing the project. Uh, we, Colin manages 450 units right here in Omaha, and we have a couple other property managers here in Omaha for some other items, but, uh, we use property managers in those other cities that we trust and know and implement our business plan for us. That's the property management. So they're not the overall decision maker. They're just property management. But obviously, we can't drive uh, 300 miles away to change the toilet. So we're implementing and, and kind of scaling that way. But one of the be benefits that we've built is that we've done it all ourselves and we've you know, gradually gotten bigger and bigger. So we know what to expect out of these people and team members in other locations. Gotcha. Okay. And then, um, so, so you have the, the team set up and, and everything. So what, uh, let's, let's talk about the, the, from the investor side, like what does a typical investor with Park Ave Capital look like? Yeah. I mean, it's someone who, who's looking for, who's interested in getting into real estate and wants the passive income. Uh, someone that's, that's passive and they, and they want the ability to diversify their portfolio, um, have an opportunity to receive cash flow on a quarterly basis 
and then even have the ability to recycle that money and reuse again on the next project. One of the reasons we've been able to grow to, I mean, by the end of the year, we'll be over 60 million in assets under management grow so quickly is because uh, our investors like our business plan and they keep recycling their money with us. So they get their $100,000 back, they keep getting cash flow. And the next question is, where do I put the next $100,000? And so we're looking for people that are trying to be passive with real estate and want the opportunity to actually take advantage of the four major ways you can actually earn uh, a profit, if you will, in, in real estate and trust somebody to do it. And that, that somebody would be us. Yeah. And alongside that is grow, um, grow overall net worth and wealth. So typical syndications, you're putting money in, you're going to get a high return after the project sells. As Chris stated and alluded to, we, we are looking at keeping these projects. So once they re, once we refinance, the goal is to get, you know, 80 to 100% of their initial capital back. They're getting cash flow along the way. They're going to continue to get cash flow, but they also still have that baseline of equity in the project. So their net worth is still increasing. So you do this multiple times, you're going to end up with this large swath of net worth. Now, eventually these projects will probably sell. We have to do our fiduciary responsibility. We buy something at 5 million, the next day somebody offers us 9 million, we're, we're probably gonna take that offer. However, we, we our business plan is, to, is not to sell because we see all the benefits of it, all the tax benefits, all the cash flow benefits. And we really are wanting to, you know, work with investors that want to be passive and get that passive mailbox money. Right. You ever have to like meet with the investors just to kind of get like they feel comfortable with you guys? Do you actively seek out investors or do they just, or is it more of like a referral based thing? How does that, how does that work? All the above. Okay. Um, people find us from podcasts like this. People find us online. People, people have talked to other, other investors. So word of mouth references uh, back before COVID meeting people for coffee. Now during COVID meeting people on zoom, uh, Colin runs a meetup with over 1900 members and right here in Omaha. A lot of people come from that because they're interested in what we're doing. Um, there, there's a number of ways to meet people and it's just kind of word of mouth. And then, you know, we also push, we're, we're beginning to push out content on social media as well. Right. I saw that. I, I just followed right before we started here, followed the Park Ave Instagram. I saw the Facebook stuff and everything. So all over that. So when we, when we get uh, this episode posted, I'll make sure I keep put all that stuff in the show notes and then I'll remind everybody about that later on. But um Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about, I mean, um, like when you're working with these investors, I, I know you, you mentioned a couple of times, a hundred thousand dollars. Is that the minimum that you want people to invest? Is there a minimum, you know, like, I'm sure that's not going to be like, here's a dollar pay me back and then make it grow. But like, how, how does, how does that work? We're, we're taking a very baseline approach to this right now. Uh, the, I, I use a hundred thousand dollars because it's, it's the easiest to conceptualize. Right. 10% return on hundred dollars. That's $10,000. I mean, it's yep. just easier to figure uh, most of our deals had a minimum of $50,000, um, but we've taken on a number of investors at the $25,000 level. It's just really dependent upon um, the, the project itself, how much the total raise is, and, and our relationship with different investors. Um, but usually the minimum is $50,000. Okay. All right. So then um, I guess another question would be, do you ever see yourself going outside of the multifamily sector? Um, you know, cause like here in New Jersey, industrial is like a big thing and, uh, multifamily is obviously big here in New Jersey, but just, you know, and I know you're in diff some different markets, but do you ever see yourself going beyond that? Or is multifamily something that you're so comfortable with that you think you want to stay there because you know, you can get those good returns for your investors and yourselves? Well, I mean, I want to hear Colin's answer after, after I get a chance to say this, but I mean, um, I would never say never. 
And, yeah. you know, we, what we've done now is built such a machine, if you will, and we have a comfort level. Everyone's always learning, but we built such a comfort level and we, we've been successful enough in multifamily that I don't see ourselves shying away from that. Right. It just so happens that we're also getting comfortable in that and that leads to other opportunities. And if you can find yourself in a position where it's a good opportunity and you can either educate yourself and or simultaneously surround yourself with the people who know how to take those things down, like industrial, like storage units, like mobile home uh, parks, those are possibilities. And you, you said you got on our social media and we're growing quickly. We're investing all over the country now, mostly in the Midwest. I'm just saying it's certainly spreading out. Um, it becomes this, uh, we, we're put in a position sometimes now to where we have investors saying, look, we, we, we trust you guys. We like you guys. We like this plan. Where can you place our money? And so we, we soon will, and we're already finding ourselves in a position where we're saying, look, if we're comfortable with this Avenue B over here at mobile home parks and we have a good operator and, or we've done the right thing and we can still do right by our investors. It's, it certainly is something that very well could happen. Yeah, I completely agree with Chris on that. I think it's, you know, surrounding ourselves with the right people, the right partnerships. You know, we've definitely underwrote some storage units. We've looked at some industrial. We have looked at those items. You know, our main focus is multifamily um, as we build up these systems. And as we get, I don't want to say more comfortable, but as we create a more more mastery and surround ourselves with, with individuals that can help this machine keep running, um, then yes, we, we would absolutely be looking at other avenues. I mean, we, we recently started a hard money lending company. So, you know, as I said, I have the, the property management arm, which Chris and I will probably combine together. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, creating more sources of income and, and diversifying. Um, but I, I think it's lots of it revolves around staying in some sort of real estate sector. Right. Yeah. Sticking in the real estate, obviously sticking in multifamily because that's what you guys know and you're, and you're good at it, but then maybe taking on some different types of risks as you grow, I guess. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. So um, the majority of the people that listen to this show are, so I'm 30 years old. The majority of the people that listen to this show are between the ages, according to anchor, uh, you know, stats, demographic stats are between the ages of like 25 and 40. Right. So a lot of those people would be, you know, in some cases new to real estate or interested in real estate. And obviously you two guys are, are people that came from some different backgrounds, got interested in real estate, started. So what are some things, Colin, we're going to start with you on this one because we've let Chris start with like basically every single question. Um, what are some things that you would you would give advice to somebody, maybe somebody my age that's looking to get into real estate, whether it's multifamily or whatever, um, to kind of get yourself started? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I can go back to what I've done and things that I would do to, I guess, expedite that process and, you know, shorten the learning curve. So I think one of the biggest things that I did at the beginning was, was educate and network. Um, lots of, lots of self-education, read podcasts, um, but then get involved in meetup groups. You, you are going to struggle doing it yourself. Um, so that kind of brings me to the third thing. Um, is find a mentor, whether it's paid, whether it's somebody that you create a good relationship with that you can provide value to. So the individual, um, Stephen Sykes, who we bought a threeplex together, him and I, he already had 50 units. I sought him out. I sought him out because I got recommendations. I said, hey, this is what I can do. How about we look at this deal together? So, but but if I could, going back, I also probably would have paid for some education as well. I, that didn't even cross my mind. I think so many people hear scam 
Um, and there probably are plenty of scams out there. And I know there are, but there's a lot of really, really good educators that are going to put you in front of a really good group of people that is going to allow you to grow so much quicker. Um, there's nothing wrong that I started with three plexes, two plexes, two plexes, four plexes, et cetera. But if I would have got involved in the right group and I guess got out of my own way, when Chris and I got our first 24 unit, I was scared. I, I was scared. I was like, dude, this is a million bucks. There's no way. How are you going to do this? Yeah. Now we, we rarely look at things under a million dollars. And that was just a mind shift. We could have done it then too. We could have done it at the very beginning. Um, you know, it, it, as Chris said before, you know, I have no regrets in kind of the, the process and progress that I've taken. But yeah, I mean, self-education, because you need to educate yourself when you're talking to mentors. Mentors don't, they're not going to force feed you everything. They're going to be there to provide a guiding light. Yeah. Um, and they're going to provide connections, um, network, and then, yeah, find yourself a mentor, whether paid or not. Awesome. How about you, Chris? Oh man. Yeah. I don't like going second. Cause he just said everything I wanted to say. <laughs> um, uh, I always say, look, Kyle and I are super motivated. So we did a lot of this on our own. That's a terrible thing to say, but what I'm what I mean is we took on too much. We obviously would not where be where we're at without relying on other people's expertise and good partners and stuff. What I mean is, um, we have that driving mentality that we're just going to learn it and do it, and, and we've certainly learned through the process that we should rely on others. But if I could go back, I would probably just simply try to do exactly what Colin said. I would either find a coach. Or I'd try to bring some type of um, bring something to the table to somebody who was already good at real estate or someone who was already in the game, if you will, yep. so that I have something to offer and then I could learn from that person. For example, if I could send out a 35 cent or whatever the heck stamps are now uh, and find a, a couple apartment buildings off market for sale. That's cost me, I don't know, not very much. Now I have an apartment no one knows about. If I bring it to somebody who's done all of this, that could be my in. And then I could kind of learn and watch what they've done. If my second uncle has a lot of money and is trying to find a place to put it, I can make that connection with somebody who knows how to run the real estate. And that could be my in. Or if I don't have any of that, which everyone has something to offer, but that's a whole nother podcast. Right. But if I don't have any of that, then certainly to get a coach, learn from someone who's already done it to guide you through that, because then maybe it wouldn't take you so long. So uh, Trevor McGregor likes to say turning decades into days. And I like that phrase. Yeah, that's nice. I like that. Um, all right. So I, I do have one question. Uh, I mean, I'm really all over the map, but, but we're going to talk about COVID a little bit because obviously we haven't gotten beaten to death by COVID COVID enough in 2020. So how has that affected how you guys do your, do your job, you know, cause I'm sure like, you know, pre COVID it looked a lot different from what you guys do now. Has it opened up different avenues? Because like, you know, from, from my perspective, so I sell title insurance, that's my nine to five day job. Um, and that's been something where, especially doing stuff like this and, and the virtual networking and all that kind of stuff, that's kind of changed like how I do my job, obviously, because I'm able to, I'm actually able to meet more people just quantity wise. And I've been able to actually get in front of and talk to some people that otherwise I would not have just doing in-person networking events. Um, but I'm just interested to see from, from your guys' standpoint, um, how has that affected how you do your business and, you know, interact with investors, interact with your, uh, you know, your property managers and, and, and all that. 
So I, I can start off, I guess, on the just the the basic operation side. I know yeah. Chris can talk about the underwriting, and then I think we can all allude into like the Zoom and kind of how that has, I guess, helped us network with more people. On the operation side, we really took kind of a proactive approach to it. Um, we, you know, reached out to all of our residents, provided, you know, areas where they could get assistance. We really tried to just hit it on the head, you know, and this is back in March. Since it kind of, it really was much slower to hit and now it seems to be increasing much heavier. What we've done is we've adapted in the way in which we're looking at taking, I guess, additional resources from uh, assistance, you know, housing assistance, et cetera. We've just seen an uptick in that uh, over what we maybe used to not do. And it's not necessarily we're taking section eight or we're taking um, these certain areas, but we've noticed that um, some of the residents that have been furloughed, whether they were in the restaurant industry and they were working 40 hours a week, making X amount, now they're working 20 hours a week. We help put them in touch with people that can provide assistance um, so that we can get, I mean, so that we are still getting reimbursed. They don't get behind on their rent. So that, that's just something from an operation standpoint. Okay. Uh, obviously, like safety precautions. Um, but other than that, it, it hasn't been too crazy for us because I think we were very proactive at the beginning. Gotcha. You've also done some kind things as well for the tenants. We did. So the first few months um, for residents that would pay on time, we'd give them a $50 gift card, uh, grocery gift card. We've done quite a few other things to eliminate some fees, et cetera. Um, so yeah, try to people, people helping people. I mean, yeah. that, that, that's what it is at the end of the day. We're all people. We're all trying to help each other, whether it's an investor, we're trying to help them make passive income, whether it's residents, we're trying to provide good housing. Our, our job is not to be the mean landlord. Our job is to provide, you know, somebody a, a quality home. Most of people's income goes to their home. That's their largest expense. So if we can make that as enjoyable and as, as nice of a place as possible and also provide good service to them, I mean, it, it just goes a long way. Yeah. Everybody love everybody. I'm going to send that recommendation over to uh, my landlord, actually, because ah. I haven't gotten any gift cards. Um, and we, I mean, here in New Jersey, like in March, it was chaos here like just a crazy time here in new jersey with covid and everything and then it got a little bit better over the summer and now it seems like it's starting to kind of roll back a little bit too but yeah i'm definitely gonna send that send that over but yeah i'm sure he'd love that yeah no yeah i'm sure they'll yeah they're, they're gonna say no i know that they tried to increase my rent for 2021 and i was like no it's like how are you gonna do that but that's gutsy that's yeah gutsy. <laughs> um yeah, I mean, look on the on the underwriting portion is how we're approaching it. We're just a lot more conservative, and a lot of people say that, um, and hopefully they are. And I guess people are approaching this in a conservative manner. That that means different things to different people. But we're basically underwriting it as if it's more vacant or less occupied than it than it actually is. Um, you know, it, it could be ninety seven percent occupied, but we're underwriting it like it's eighty five percent occupied. Uh, we're raising rents. Let's say that market rents are $900 and we have us getting to $900 finally by the end of year two, as opposed to month 12, you know, something like that to kind of delay the press on the tenants still have a good business plan, but just take a little slower approach. We've had to pass on a decent amount of things because opportunities, because they, they don't make sense uh, mathematically that we probably would have jumped at before COVID, but we just right. got to be smart this was our best year yet. That's a weird thing to say when you're talking about COVID because obviously there's a lot of bad things going on, but yeah. as far as the business and our ability to force appreciate things, raise income, lower expenses, uh, capture a lot of opportunities. 
we've actually done really well this year. Um, and there's a whole other list of reasons why that probably is, but certainly approaching it in a conservative manner is, is important. Right, right. So how about, uh, Colin, you were talking about the networking stuff. And I'm, I'm interested to hear more about the meetup group because like 1,900 people is a lot. And I run some of my own networking events and groups and stuff like that here in New Jersey. Um, they're not anywhere near that level. But I'm just interested to see like kind of how that started um, and how you got it to grow that much and then how it operates and then maybe like how things have changed a little bit since COVID started. You know, if you're doing more virtual stuff, if you're meeting new people that way. Yeah, no. Um, so it started, I want to say it was two and a half years ago or so, about two and a half years ago, it was a couple six packs and actually people meeting at the fourplex that um, I, I underbid Chris on and got. Huh. Sorry, Chris. Um, but yeah, it just started there. I put out a Facebook post. Hey, I see people keep talking about real estate. Anybody interested? I'm remodeling a fourplex. About eight, 12 people showed up. I was like, wow, there's something here. Maybe I'll put a little bit of effort behind the next one. Um all right, next one, we got 30 people. We went to a, my buddy, as I said, Stephen's house. We viewed a threeplex that he was remodeling. Okay, we're actually getting somewhere. Let's, let's go get an event place. Now it moved up to 50 people. Um, the event before COVID, so it was March. Yeah, I believe our last one was in March. We've done a couple in-person ones since then, but it was about 150 in attendance. So yeah, once COVID hit, the businesses shut down. The, the restaurant that we actually went at, was in the news because some people with COVID had went through there in March. So that was, awesome. I mean, when COVID was also a death sentence for everybody that got it, it was yeah. definitely a death sentence for businesses right. um, at that time. So yeah, we, we started doing Zoom calls. Um, you know, it was kind of hard to get a cadence. We've basically been doing them every month, but now we've been also doing kind of like one-off events as well. You know, Chris and I both got on, underwrote a couple properties the other day. Um, we bring in definitely outside speakers. So people from all over the country. So that, that has been a big advantage. We have, yeah, people from Florida, from California, now they're getting on these calls. And then since we are, you know, putting a little bit more effort on, you know, creating content with them because the, the networking does suffer a little bit because you're not staying there. You're not staying around till midnight. You're not gravitating towards these conversations, right. but it gives us an opportunity to create some content that we can reuse. And then and from there, people will reach out to you and that creates the networking aspect of it. So yeah, that's, that's been one of the biggest things. As I said, we've done a couple in person. We're probably going to hold off on that for a little bit and continue with zoom and just kind of continue to create some content and uh, have some of those that are focused on, I don't want to say educational pieces, but uh, common questions that people have. Um, and then they can become interactive through that gotcha. process. What, what is some of the content that you guys are putting out? Like, obviously I, I saw, I'm on the website right now and I'm seeing that you're guests on podcasts. So like, what are some of the other stuff that people can go to, to kind of learn what you guys are, are doing and, and the type of stuff that you uh, have to offer? Yeah. I mean, we're putting out sure. blogs. Uh, that's on our website. We're putting out on, you know, our face, our Facebook group, our, um, um, on Park Ave, on LinkedIn. We're putting out videos on all three of those places. Uh, so we put out little short snippets of videos um, either segments of podcasts we've been on or certainly just pre-recorded uh, kind of informational videos, little short 30, you know, 30 second to two minute videos, um, blogs, podcasts. We're, we're, we're actually starting a podcast ourselves here soon. So we try to keep pushing out content, answering questions we can and trying to help as many people as we can. With this group that Colin has, we actually presented recently and we'll probably present again in the future, but um, you know, just trying to help people break down how to do something 
is, is huge because a lot of times you at these meetups and or you're always selling something. And don't get me wrong. The purpose of pressure down content is to is to have that abundance mentality and to and not only perhaps entertain, but certainly educate. Uh, and that could obviously come back around to help you because then people trust you and they should if you know what you're talking about. But it's also something we like to do is give back. I mean, I, I did not have actually. I, one of the reasons I know Colin's the same way, one reason I was able to grow so much is even though I made the mistake by not getting a coach or a partner right away, I was so into podcasts and books and I, I was just soaking up content and I still try to, when I can, and I, I realized how important that is. So that's something that we like to, to honestly, that part of that is giving back as well. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, all right. So we're, we're getting close to the end of this episode. So one thing I want to do before we, uh, get into our closing segment is I want to ask, you know, so like I mentioned people that, that, uh, types of people that listen to this podcast and they've listened to us talk for about 40 minutes so far. Um, so if there's somebody out there that is like, Hey, I want to jump in with these guys. Like they sound like people that I would trust with my money. How do you go through that process as a potential investor? I know we talked about like the types of investors that you have. So like, take us through like how they would actually go about, and obviously emails, websites, stuff like that. But uh, take us through like that process so that people know what to expect if they do want to reach out. Go ahead, Colin. I was going to let you, Chris. This well, is your special. Everybody seat. jumping up on it. <laughs> I mean, I, we, we like to speak to our, the, to our new prospective investors. I mean, it just depends on what, where we're at with that relationship. Um, for example, we have a great deal down in Kansas city and we paid out our first distributions here recently, a few months ago. And it just so happened to coincide at the same time we were raising for the next deal. And as soon as our investors got their money, many of them said, wow, this is great. Um, this, this, this is a great opportunity. I want to, I want to jump into the next one. Those relationships were already built. A couple of them had some questions. Other than that, they already trusted our process and therefore they're ready to roll. Uh, if it's a brand new person we've never spoken to before, we always set up that call, that Zoom link, that, that telephone call, something to get a chance to, it's actually important that we get a chance to see what their goals are, what they're expecting, why they're getting into this. We actually, a lot of times, you know, understand their financial background to make sure that some of these, it depends on the investment. I don't want to get into the whole regulations yeah. on SEC and whatnot, but right. we need to make sure we're not just talking to the 86-year-old grandmother who were using her last $40,000 to invest. So we need to have these conversations with people and make sure there's that comfort level. And there's, there's, a, there's to make sure our interests are aligned also is our, our plan. One of the reasons we've been able to gather so many investors so quickly is it seems as though we're putting out an opportunity that many people aren't, and that's the availability to stay in on the investment after the refinance and receive cash flow indefinitely. And that could mean you and your wife. It could mean your kids. It could mean your trust. It could mean anybody. And a lot of people are interested because many syndicators are saying, join with me and I'll sell it in two or three years. You'll make a decent profit. And then best of luck after that. Now, of course, they're hoping to have another one to roll into, but right. there's certainly not that residual cash flow. And Colin's ability to quit his job and my ability to start doing things more with my downtime that I choose to do um, is all coming from the opportunity to have passive residual cash flow would allow anybody to have that. If you want to continue being an electrician, be an electrician. If you want to host a podcast the rest of your life and that's all you do, and I know your title insurance, I'm not talking about you. I'm saying anybody, then do it because you can. You can do what you want because you have cash flow. And so as long as we can get that connection with our prospective investors, then we know there's a right fit and they jump into our deals. Gotcha. Colin, anything to add? 
No, that's perfect. I mean, really, it is building relationships. So Chris and I, I mean, we need to know the person. We're not taking anybody's money. We want to have a, whether it's a sit down, a Zoom, typically we're having multiple conversations. Typically, we've talked for a long time. They've seen our content. We've shared comments back and forth, you know, then we actually get on a more meaningful call. Um, Being from the Midwest and Chris being from the Midwest, lots of individuals in this area that are business professionals, you know, know Chris. So they may reach out to him. They may reach out to myself and say, hey, this is something I've been interested in. I've purchased a single family home, but, you know, I have $50,000 that I want to move out of my 401k and invest with you guys. Can you tell me how that works? So it's really important, and Chris really, really hit on it. I mean, we, we have told investors no, because we, we do want to get a good idea of what their financial background is. And, you know, some of them, it's like, hey, maybe that is better stuck in savings if that is your last dollar. Um, you need the, those emergency funds. But for everybody else, I mean, it's really just us having conversations and making sure that their goals are similar to what our goals are. Gotcha. Awesome. Do you guys ever, like... Uh use other, I mean, cause I, we've had a couple of different people that, that, uh, do syndication deals, you know, on this show before, do you ever like partner with different people like that? Different groups, different companies. Yeah. We've, yeah. we've been asked to be a co-GP on a couple of deals and I'm sure it'll happen again in the future. And that just all, look, I, I kind of alluded to that earlier about how that's your way to get into certain deals. So there was a deal recently where somebody brought it to us and they didn't have, um, some of the, the banking relationships that, that we have and they didn't, and they didn't have some of the experience that we have. So we teamed up and we, we took it down as, as general partners of the deal. Um, I'm sure that'll happen on future deals. Uh, it's just, it, again, abundance mentality, the ability to kind of spread the, the, the wealth, if you will, but really just utilize everybody's expertise and their experience. And if the project works the best that way, then, then we're always willing to do that for sure. I don't know why that popped into my head now. That would have been a better question, better served earlier on in the episode, but whatever. It's my show. I'll do whatever I want. Better so, late than never. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we, at least we touched on it at some point, you know? So, all right. So we're going to move the show into our closing segment, which is called Under the Spotlight. So we do this for every episode. Um, so we're going to ask you guys to give us one final point. So they just listened to Chris Pomerleau and Colin Schwartz of Park Ave Capital on the morning spotlight. What is the one thing that each of you want people listening to this episode to walk away with? So maybe Chris, we'll start with you. Oh, me finally. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say uh, invest for cash flow. Invest for residual income. Invest for income. That is the most important thing. I, I think you should diversify your portfolio. I'm not going to try to draw... Uh, some epic battle between the stock market and real estate or Bitcoin or whatever the heck you want to get into. Diversification is huge. But if you don't have something that's paying you when you're not working, then you're not really making money. So I think you need to do that. And that's the most important thing to learn. Awesome. Colin? So I feel like we've touched on most of the things I want to discuss. So I'll just hit on something new is always have reserves, especially whether you're a new investor or a new syndicator, always factor in reserves. I see lots of people getting into trouble. They they are not buying cash flowing assets, which is problem number one. Number two, they're assuming that they can do a large amount of rehab from all that cash flow and not using bank leverage to whether get a construction loan or factoring that into their actual pro forma of having reserves. So it really goes back to Chris's point of make sure it cash flows, but then also have reserves. Gotcha. All right. Awesome. 
So that was, that was great. So what, what I'm going to do, like I said earlier in the episode, is I'm going to take all the social media stuff, the website, uh, Chris and Collins' email addresses. I'll put those in the show notes. So if anybody listening wants to reach out to them, please do so. I'm sure that they would be happy to hear from you. Um, if anybody wants to be a guest or hear us talk about a specific topic on The Morning Spotlight, email me at themorningspotlight at gmail.com or go to the website, okay. themorningspotlight.com. Um, and uh, Chris, Colin, thank you guys uh, both for, for being on with us today. Hey, thanks for having us. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I, I'll your setup what, what type of guests do you like? I mean, do you like, I mean, do, do you want them like us? Do you want like flippers, wholesalers? Do you want We are, we are an equal opportunity older? employer when it comes to guests on the morning spotlight. We'll, we've done, I mean, the episode that I just aired today's December 2nd is the episode that uh, aired yesterday was on commercial real estate property taxes. Uh, we do investors. We've had attorneys. We've done a, a lot of different things, panel episodes, single uh, you know, solo one-on-one interviews, different things like that. So, um, okay. Whatever, whatever you guys got, we're always looking for, always looking for people for sure. So I'll over right after this. All right. Yep. Awesome. All right, guys, I All appreciate right. it. And everybody else, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Hey everyone, Mike Cam here. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Just remember, every Tuesday morning, we'll have a real estate episode, and during the week, we could be talking about anything.